In response to a most challenging academic year, the Yes We Care program is giving away 50 $100 Staples gift cards to help send the children of Yes communities back to school on the right foot. The Yes We Care program aims to alleviate the cost of school supplies and ensure the children in our communities have everything they need to succeed in the upcoming school year. For entry details, please visit our website at yescommunities.com. After quite a rough year, our kids are finally returning to the classroom for in-person learning. Where parents were once mostly worried about pulling new school outfits together, this year comes with a host of brand new challenges. In this episode, we'll explore some strategies to help both parents and students find success for the new school year. Our special guest, Ann Dolan, is a former public school teacher and founder of Education Connections Tutoring. Anne shares with us some simple tools to ensure our kids return to school is both constructive and worry-free. It's scary. Any new school year could be scary. It's almost like starting a new job. You don't know who the people might be. It may not be the same classmates you've had. What are some of the social challenges that kids are facing being isolated for extended periods. I mean, last year, virtual learning, you know, that you're around your parents and your family 24-7 because we're all pretty much working from home. How do you break them out of those social challenges and getting them back to the new school year? You know, Vanessa, I was just talking to a student the other day and I said, tell me how you're feeling about going back to school. And he said, you know what? To tell you the truth, I'm kind of feeling antisocial. And I said, (laughs) tell me about that. And he said, you know what? I've just kind of gotten used to staying around my house and I don't even know if I want to go back anymore. And, (laughs) you know, we feel like that as adults. I've talked to a lot of people that feel like that. And so when I talk to kids, what they're generally telling me is they're worried they're not going to fit in anymore. They're worried they're going to be left out. Who will they sit with at lunch? You know, as parents, we think about, well, what are their grades going to be like? But they're just concerned about fitting in. The other thing that kids are concerned, especially older students, is did they lose so much ground that they're going to go back to school and feel behind? Yeah. And so when we talk to our kids and we hear something like that, it's one of my favorite questions is to ask on a scale of one to 10. You know, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling about friendships this year? And if your child says, you know, I'm feeling like a seven, you say, tell me about that. And that kind of gets them talking. So sometimes a a broad question, tell me how you're feeling about school, you may not get so much. So you can ask a specific question too. And I think the one about, to your point, um, the social environment is probably more important than the academics at this point. I can't imagine being, you know, a younger person and having to navigate that. Did you see a lot of students maybe last year that are repeating into this year or having to repeat the grade? We haven't seen that. We haven't seen kids repeating the year. However, what we did see is that the failure rate was so high. In fact, I do a lot of parent workshops for school districts. And at one school district in North Carolina is working with 82% of the students there, high school had at least one failing grade. 
And the failure rate was at an all-time high last year. So in early spring, late winter, most school districts across the country did a complete pivot. And they said, all right, we're going to start dealing with assignment forgiveness. So students that had a lot of outstanding work, they kind of just wiped it out and they said, I'll figure out your grade based on what you've turned in. And so for that reason, most students did end up passing. But now the question is, how much did they really learn? What are some ways to make it easier to get our kids out the door in the morning? One of my favorite things to do is to create what I call a launching pad. And a launching pad is really, it could be a box, a bin. It could just really be any container. And the idea is you're going to put it by the door from which your child exits every morning. And the night before, you're going to say to your child, all right, let's get everything in your launching pad. So that means to your child, his backpack, his folders, if he goes to soccer practice after school, his shin guards, his socks, his cleats, his musical instrument, library books, whatever it is, all of these things the night before go into the launching pad. So the next morning you're launching into a new day in an organized fashion. And I love this idea because mornings can be incredibly chaotic and stressful, but by doing something small the night before, it can really make a big difference. And the other thing that I found helpful, especially for older kids, is to take time on Sunday night and preview the week ahead. And we can model this as parents. We can say, let me look at my calendar. I'm going to confirm my appointments. I'm going to see what I have coming up. Maybe you lay out your clothes for the next couple of days that you're going to wear to work. But for kids, for little kids, I'd recommend having some type of whiteboard calendar on the refrigerator doesn't have to be a whole month. It can be a week at a glance where you put little things that occur after school, soccer practice, a violin lesson, whatever it might be. And then on Sunday night, you say, okay, let's look at the week ahead. For older students that have long-term assignments, you might say, all right, I'm going to look at my week ahead. You take out your laptop and see what you have coming up this week. Are there any big projects, tests, quizzes that you might need to think about instead of just leaving it till the night before. What's something that you can plan ahead for? And that Sunday session really helps kids to feel prepared for the week ahead. Our launch pad has been our kitchen counter, but I think I like the idea of keeping it more structured and organized by the door. And you know, Vanessa, the kitchen counter is fine. When my kids were little, <laughs> they're in college now. One of my kids, he wouldn't do the launching pad, but he had this corner of the island in our kitchen and that was his space. So it can obviously be any space. I struggle with in the morning. I know I have to get him to school by 8.15, but I have to get myself ready too. And so what I've been facing is that here I am trying to get him ready that I literally have two minutes to get myself ready. <laughs> it can be crazy in the morning, that's for sure. And so for kids, anytime we can allow them to be a little bit more independent by having a three item checklist in their area, it's so helpful to us. So if we say something like, go up to your room and get your gloves, get your coat, and don't forget to brush your teeth, chances are he's gonna come down maybe with his coat, but he didn't get his gloves or brush his teeth. Yeah. Because that requires a lot of working memory. There's a lot <laughs> kind of in your head. So anytime we can have a little checklist for our kids, never more than three things, either in the mirror, in their bathroom, or by the door from which they exit. It can't be lengthy, it has to be simple, 
that's a visual to them. And for younger students, a visual is far better than any verbal reminder. And so if we can kind of offload some of our responsibilities, like this is your job, you just have these two things or these three things, it can free up a little bit of time for us in the mornings. With my own kids, I found that checklist work for about two weeks, and then I had to sparkleize them, which means that I had to move them. If one was on the door that we exited from, I had to move it, or I had to put a piece of pink paper behind it. I had to make it different because over time, you know how things just kind of blend in with the environment? Sometimes we're quick to say this doesn't work, but it may not be that it doesn't work. It just is that kids just don't see it anymore. And so by sparkleizing it, it makes it feel a little bit different. I'm going to sparkleize my husband's to-do list. I love that. More and more of our kids' schoolwork is done on the computer nowadays, and it feels like their screen time is just piling up. How can we as parents help navigate these digital distractions? Oh boy, Vanessa, I tell you, these things are easier said than done, that's for sure. We know that long periods of time on a digital device for young kids isn't helpful. So if we can maybe contain it to a half hour, that seems to be better for young children. However, we can sit down with our kids. You know, we can still have that little meeting and talk about what you're noticing. I like to use the words I've noticed instead of, you know, you're on that iPad too much. We could say, I noticed the iPads out a lot. What may be a good time for you to get on the iPad? For example, if he gets home from school at 3.30, maybe you have the agreement that he gets the iPad at 5. So by talking about it beforehand and by putting that in writing on a little sparkleized piece of paper on the refrigerator, like 5 o'clock iPad, it's clear that this is what happens. We've agreed to it. It's on the refrigerator. This is our house policy. And so there's less, you know, at 4 o'clock, Mom, can I have it, please, you said? But by having little rules and putting them in writing can help. Again, it's easier said than done because then there's always the time you're driving him somewhere else and does he get it in the car? But in general, if we can have a routine like that, it often helps when kids start asking for the device. Yeah. What do you think about older kids too? Do you think that would apply with older kids? Because I know, I mean, I see kids all the time. They're attached to their phones, but sometimes they see their parents are attached to their phones. I'm guilty of that, you know, checking email, whatnot. And you can also have parameters at certain times, like at dinner, this is a no device time. I have a friend who says in the cars, this is a no device time. And the reason she says that is because she finds that her kids don't have any other choice but to talk to her. And she has, she has the most meaningful conversations in the car with her kids because they can't have their devices. Certainly as they get older and you got a 16, a 70 year old, that doesn't work anymore. But in general, it's really hard. Once you give a child a phone, when they're younger, you can have certain policies. However, when they're older, it is harder to do that. What we do in my practice is we teach them about self-awareness, mm -hmm. you know, when you feel like you've been watching YouTube videos and you really need to get your math homework done, what are some strategies? For example, we'll teach them how to use certain website blockers, like stay focused. Another one's called self-control for Max. Mm. And they allow students to blacklist certain websites they find to be distracting and then move a toggle bar for a certain amount of time. So let's say they have a history test and they want to study for 20 minutes. This works for adults too, by the way. Yeah. You can set the timer on your blocker. And even if you try to 
restart your laptop or disable the app, you can't get to those websites. And then there's another one, Focus Boost, and it's based on the Pomodoro technique. And there's actually research behind how long people can focus before they lose motivation and attention. And it's about 25 minutes. So if we teach kids also to use this other particular app or to use one of the other ones, set it for 25 minutes, and then really that's your sweet spot for getting work done. What are some signs we should look for that indicate our child might be falling behind? It's harder now than ever before, and I'll tell you why. You know, five, 10 years ago, kids had homework in elementary school, but now in most districts, they don't because research shows that really homework before fifth grade is not actually very helpful. And in a lot of school districts, kids don't receive A, B, C, D like they once did. They're getting numerical grade, like twos, threes, and fours. And so without homework coming home and being able to see grades and without getting a report card with what we know as grades, A, B, C, it's often hard for parents to judge. And so I encourage parents to look at two different things. One is if there is a homework portal where grades are reported, I would sit down and look at that once a week with your child. Don't go behind your child's back and look at it without their knowledge, because what ultimately happens, they get home from school. You know, we start yelling, Jimmy, why didn't you turn in those three history assignments? Or why don't you get a C on your science test? And the kid's like, whoa, you know, and all of a sudden, (laughs) fight. But instead, going through grades, saying, tell me about this class, tell me about that class, and just letting them explain it to you. If your child is able to stay on top of things, I wouldn't even go there. I wouldn't, I would let them manage it on their own. But in general, we can tell from grades, you know, parents call our office all the time and they say, grades don't matter to me, which generally isn't true. Grades do matter to everybody, but you want to look for, is it a specific subject? Like, is it math or are they avoiding reading? Or as they get older, is it that they're having a hard time staying organized, knowing what they have to do and getting their work done? Because those are two separate things. Yeah. The staying focused, getting your work done is related to this cognitive process in the frontal lobe called executive functions. And no matter how much you say to your kid, stay focused, turn your work in, try your hardest, they need an adult to help them with those things. If it's something like math, it's hard for kids to teach themselves math. Mm-hmm. They need somebody to help them with that. So I would make a determination. Is it a subject or is it an overall issue with organization and managing time? Wow. I was never great at math, but I was more of the creative type. How do you even get kids more excited about some of those subjects that maybe they're not really passionate about? I often hear parents when they call our office, they'll say like, oh, I was never good in math. There's, you know, of course my child's not good in math or I hated math too, you know, but when our kids hear those things, like no one in our family is ever good at math, (laughs) it honestly doesn't help. And what we know is that actually math is a learned skill. And some people are just inherently better than other people, but there's a lot of research that shows with additional practice kids' skills can be just like those kids that are naturally better at math. It just takes a little extra practice. So it's often easy when we see that our kids, you know, don't have a hard time learning the multiplication facts just to avoid it, ignore it. Hopefully it will go away. But actually a better technique is to make it fun and practice. Even if it's five minutes a day, 
things I've done with kids are we get a beach ball and we'll practice the fives tables and I'll say five times four, they catch it, 20. They say a fact back to me with a five, I'll catch it, I'll say the answer. And so even something like that for five minutes is practice in a fun way. And that helps kids overcome the hump. I think that's a great idea. And I love where you're engaging and interacting with them differently to learn something. What is some advice you might give to help us perhaps change course and get the year off on a good foot? If you found that your relationship over school has been fractured, you know, in the past, then I might try something different this year. And what I might do for 30 days is each school day, you find your child doing something really well. That's related to effort. For example, if you see your child doing their math homework, you might say something like, I love how you wrote the steps out or you wrote that so neatly. I can tell you're really focused on that book. I love the way you took out all your materials to start your homework before dinner. Anything we can see that our kids are doing well, we should notice it for 30 days and see if that makes a difference by noticing what's good in our kids instead of correcting them for what's not so good can make a huge difference in our relationship with our kids and their outlook on school. a huge part in our communities. Our community managers and maintenance staff strive each year to help the kids of YES communities achieve academic success. Whether it's stuffing backpacks with school supplies or facilitating after-school tutoring sessions, YES Communities' Dave Pendenny and Robert Lewis shared with us what it means to see the kids within their communities thrive at school. You know, this topic is really important to me. I have a, a five-year-old who's back in school, but kids are such an important part of all of our communities across Yes. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do to help kids in your communities with school. One of the things that, you know, our community managers do a great job of, first of all, learning who's in their communities and engaging with the kids and the residents. My teams do a lot of stuffing backpacks with school supplies. So every kid in the community gets a book bag with supplies. Uh, they do coffee and donuts on the first day of school for parents as they kids get on the bus and drive away for the first time sometimes. So they're really in tune with the community. And, you know, we offer some of our clubhouses at designated times for tutoring and, you know, after school activities for kids. But it's really all the, the community managers do such a great job in, in driving how to help the kids out in the communities. What would you say would be the most rewarding part of giving back to kids in the community? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in our mission statement, you know, leading rich, meaningful lives. And I think at the core of that is education and being able to achieve any dream that they have, but it starts with education. So being able to support that in the communities and as a company, I think it's a it's an amazing thing that we do. Our team deserves a lot of credit in the field, the CMs, the office staff, you know, maintenance. They live, breathe, helping people and doing what's best for the community and the company and just this small piece of, of the education to help our residents and the kids in the community, they deserve a lot of credit because it does take a lot of extra work for sure. And, and it takes planning and dedication to what they do and, and helping people out. So, but, but that's the most rewarding thing we do. That's just a delight in like the fact that we can assist with 
future, you know, next presidents, next doctors, next lawyers, because education is key. Even though at that age, they may not understand or comprehend how that's going to play a part in their lives and their upbringing, you know, and just the fact that like, hey, you know, you may not understand it now, but you will. And you will remember the assistance that you received at that young age. And we're just happy to be there and happy to provide in that sense. Especially the school supplies. Something is simple and basic as that can really get a kid off to school. I remember when I was a kid and I would get those erasers. Remember those little block erasers? The pink and white one? The pink and white one. I was so excited. I would just smell that eraser. I'm like, yes, it's brand new. This is going to be a great school year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the thing that pulls on the heartstrings is just, you know, being able to maybe provide something to, to a child that they may not have had. How tough is it for a kid going to school and, you know, everyone has the the 48 pack of crayons and all the glitter color, but, you know, they don't have any. So, you know, giving them the opportunity to just have everything they need for school, I think that's it. And then with the scholarship program, I read a bunch of essays. Hey, Yes Communities has helped me out my entire life and they continue to do so and they couldn't be more grateful. So that that's the stuff that like pulls at those heartstrings for sure. That's amazing. You know, how are the needs of these kids going back to school so different than maybe you and I? You know, just with, with the flow of information and how they get it so rapidly. Like, I think that's the biggest change for sure. So like, I remember having to wrap like textbooks up in grocery bags so you could keep them nice. Also, you know, the parents can't lie anymore about the answers. So <laughs> they get back checked pretty quick. Vanessa, I must say, you know, wrapping the uh, textbook, that was the best part of going back to school, you know? Give me that marker. Let me tag your wrap textbook and you can tag mine. And oh yeah, that was the best part of going back to school. Thank you for listening to What Living Means. If you've enjoyed our show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Vanessa Jasinski, and I'll see you next time.